day and welcome to the Mile 27 podcast. I'm Ben Duffus and I'm joined here today with my fellow Mile 27 coaches, Simon and Andy. Simon and Andy, how are you going? Very good, thank you, Ben. How are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> good, thanks, Ben. Very good, thank you. Good, thanks, guys. So today we're talking about a topic which uh, I'm quite passionate about because I think it's a really important uh, part of the process for all athletes in general, and that is dealing with setbacks. That we all know that life is filled with up and downs, and really it's just each challenge is a stepping stone to the next. And sport is no different. We're going to have the highest highs, we're going to have the lowest lows. And so what's important though is how are we going to deal with these setbacks that inevitably come our way along our ultramarathon journey. Uh, there's been a lot of research in general sort of uh, talent development looking at athletes in other sports. And one thing that clearly comes out is that no athlete has this smooth rise to the top. There are inevitably ups and downs. And in fact, some make the argument that we really shouldn't be pandering to up-and-coming athletes by making their journey too smooth, that these, these setbacks are a necessary component to develop the mental skills necessary to be an elite athlete, to develop the mental toughness, to develop grit, and to develop a growth mindset and that, and that belief in the ability to improve. Caveat, obviously, with all of that being that most other sports, people are peaking in their 20s, and so that research is looking at kids up and coming who don't necessarily have the same life experience as the average ultramarathon runner. So the three of us have obviously had our own personal setbacks in our ultramarathon journey. So in order to give it a bit of a personal touch and to give some specific examples, we're going to work through our own personal setbacks and then how we've dealt with that and hopefully you can take away some key lessons from all of this. So we're going to start off first throwing over to Andy. Andy, could you talk us through sort of what are setbacks? How do you define them? And what are some that you've experienced? Yeah, so setbacks is for me is anything that hinders the plan that I'm on. So, you know, most of us are follow, following some kind of training plan. Um, and then things get in the way of that. Obviously, you know, you've got minor setbacks. You've got a cold for three days and you can't train. You've got a little niggle. You have to have a couple of days off. And, and most of us are, are fairly good at dealing with those minor setbacks because we just think it can't be avoided. Like We can't avoid getting a cold now and then. Uh, we can't avoid work getting too busy and needing a couple of days off here and there. So those are the ones that most of us don't have any issues dealing with. It's the bigger ones that... Um, we start to struggle emotionally and physically with and that's I think what we're going to discuss more today is what are those bigger ones and how have we dealt with them and what have we learned from those experiences. Yeah so as you said it's we're all having this constant sort of you know couple of days sort of having to step things back but you said there that you were really going to focus majorly on the ones where you've had maybe several weeks of having to step back so things like major injuries or Potentially also if you've had races where, you know, you've built up for it for months, years even, and for it to then not go your way and how that then affects you both physically and mentally. Uh, so, Andy, do you have any examples from your own running journey of where you've either had major injuries or, you know, races which really didn't go to plan and they were your big target race for a long time? I wish I could say no, but um, the unfortunate answer is yes, 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 and yes. Um but, you know, and we'll come to this conclusion later on, but those, I'd like to think that those experiences have defined me and made me tougher. But going back a step to, to my experience, I mean, for those of you who don't know, I used to do Ironman, did Ironman for kind of nine, nine, ten years. 
Um, I took up Ironman, or took up triathlon. I hadn't even done triathlons uh, before I decided I wanted to do Ironman. Saw it on TV and thought, yeah, I need to do Hawaii Ironman. It's, that's what I want to do with my life. So the first year was fine. Got into triathlon training, got a few niggles along the way, but <clears throat> that was all good. Then I started getting this constant shin pain. It just got worse and worse. Like I could still train, but it just gradually got worse and worse to the point where the day after a run, I would hobble across the road to dodge cars for whatever. Like even running two or three steps was quite painful. And eventually, common sense got the better of a, a headstrong 23-year-old to actually go get it checked out and find out what this problem was. Ended up being a stress fracture um, of the shin, which needed you know, a minimum six weeks of, of no running whatsoever. So for me, you know, when I, I, I'd quit my full-time job as a surveyor. Um, I was still living at home at the time. I was working 15, 20 hours a week at the local gym just so I had enough time to train. Uh, and my sole goal was doing the qualifying race the following year um, to qualify for Hawaii. So my whole life was kind of structured around training and, and doing this Ironman. So for me to get a stress fracture and have you know someone tell me, All right, you can't run for six weeks, yeah, that that hit pretty hard, to be honest. And I was a little bit lost. Were you questioning your decisions at that point? No, I wasn't, wasn't much questioning the decisions. It was more questioning on... How do I get through this? Uh, you know, if you ask my parents, particularly at that stage, what I was like when I was injured, and uh, I was a very, very grumpy person <laughs> when I got injured, as I'm sure we can all attest to. I like to think that nowadays I, I handle injuries a fair bit better, a bit more balanced in my life. But um, back then, when my I was virtually like an elite athlete without being elite and without getting paid for it, so it was all I did really. So it was wasn't easy to accept it for one and then look ahead and go well, how am I going to get like is, is that my season gone like how am I going to get fit again to race next because I think from off the top of my head I think this was in around July and so I had gone of eight nine months before the Ironman but I also knew that you know Ironman's not something you can do three months training of and run a fast enough time to qualify for a while so I knew that this was going to impact into my training time and didn't quite know what I was going to do with myself. So I think any time I have an injury like this, the first of all thing that goes through my head is like, what does this mean to my long-term goal? Like, do I give up? Does, do I change years? Like, I just needed some time to process on what this actually meant for me. And for me, every time I've had an injury like this, whether it be for ultras or for Ironmans, the first thing I do is think about, do I still want to work towards the goal that I had set in my mind beforehand? And pretty much every time the answer is yes, like it doesn't change anything. Like my desire to do the race hasn't changed. Uh, my only question was, does this mean I can't do it next year or have I got enough time this year? And back then I didn't really have the knowledge I do now of you know, how to deal with injuries, both physically and mentally, of the rehab process. So I, I was reliant on others in terms of what I could do and how I could get back onto this. So you're using others for that informational support. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I never had a stress fracture before. I didn't know much about rehab at that point of view, so I had to rely on my physio friends, um, who I've become quite good, <laughs> quite a close relationship with my physio at that point in time, as I'm sure you can relate to, Ben. Um, <laughs> yep. So he said he said six weeks of not running at all, which was a fairly bitter pill to swallow, particularly as I had this injury for two years. 
by this point and I kind of thought, well, you know, if I dealt with this a year and a half ago, instead of being a stubborn, pig-headed, um, egotistical 23-year-old, I probably would have been all right. So there's a bit of kind of, you idiot, why did you do this to yourself kind of going around in my head? And I think that's, you know, part of dealing with injuries is accepting the injury, accepting the behaviour that led to that injury, learning from that in the short term, going, okay, this is what I did wrong. And that takes a bit of self-analysis as well. You've got to look back over your training and going, okay, well, well what, what did I do wrong? Like, what could I have done differently? And what do you think you did wrong? Oh, it was just too much too soon. Thinking I was invincible, thinking that, you know, aches and pains post-training was the norm. And I think that's, you read a lot about that in the media. You know, you read, like the media beat up things um, in terms of, you know, you read stuff by triathletes and ultramarathon runners, any elite athlete. And they're always talking about, you know, even tennis players, just a matter of the sport. They're always talking about how, you know, they've got all these niggles and stuff. And until you've been there and experienced it all, it's hard to know what a niggle is and what a, what a you know, activity-threatening um, injury is that you just can't train at all. And after a while, you get to know those niggles where you can keep training, where you just modify training a little bit, but keep training. But initially, you just don't know. So you just push on, well, I did anyway, I just pushed on thinking it would get better. Of course it didn't. So one of the interesting things where you first touched on, though, there were some of the psychological traits that you felt were contributing to that need that or that desire to do too much too soon, essentially. And so probably work, how did you work through that? How did you sort of change that mindset to sort of, okay, to try and at least moving forwards, come back at a more sensible pace? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> First thing I kind of did, because I, even you know, this is before the age of Strava and training peaks and stuff, it was all handwritten diaries by then. So the first thing you do, look back through more training and go, okay, where did this niggle start? And I was pretty pretty good at recording all this and just kind of, you know, I'd give myself a score out of 10 as to how that session felt each day and I'd write down any niggles I had. So you kind of look back and go, okay, well, when did this niggle start? Look at the training volume, look at the training intensity uh, and see, okay, well... You know, was this too much? And and sometimes it's frustrating because you look back and go, well, it just came out of the blue. Um, in my case, it didn't come out of the blue. It was an obvious pattern of um, a super motivated young athlete thinking he's invincible, um, trying to keep up with far more experienced runners in the same training group. So, I mean, I going, going from nothing at all, I, mean, I was running the whole time, but when I started triathlon, I was running maybe, I don't know, three lots of 10K a week or something. You know, nothing particularly serious. And I went from doing that to running 70k a week, riding 400 and swimming 15 in the space of probably six months, which any decent coach will tell you is far, far too quick a time to, to build up. So you're looking back on that, you kind of think, okay, well, maybe I'm not quite as invincible as I thought I was. And some humility comes from that. Kind of, you've got to appreciate where you're at, where your body can handle the training and... You know, you always read about people who can go from you know, nothing to, you know, two years later, they're winning ultras or winning Ironman or whatever. And you go, okay, well, that's just not me. That's, I tried that and it's not me. So I think acceptance is a big part of that, looking back and accepting your physical limitations and being honest with that, kind of going, maybe if I just try harder next time is not a good strategy. It's maybe I'll try smarter next time. Maybe I'll listen to my body a bit more. Maybe I'll modify my training when that niggle gets to a 3 out of 10 instead of a 7 out of 10. Maybe I'll not ignore the niggle and do speed sessions when I probably should have 
um, skip speed sessions. But I was at the point where I'd go out to do a speed session with a mate of mine and we'd warm up and I'd be limping. We'd do the first, you know, first 1K rep of six 1K reps. And my mate would say, how come you're limping, Andy? I'm still running three minute Ks for my 1K rep, but I'm limping for the first 500 meters of that. Uh, obviously, that's just stupid. and I should never have done it. But sometimes I think you need a bit of a wake up call. Um, and for me, that was, was definitely a big wake up call to accept my limitations, be a bit more patient and maybe listen to those more knowledgeable um, around you saying you're doing too much too soon. So you eventually like managed to come back, obviously, because we know that you did eventually complete that Ironman. So how was that? How was that return? Return was really slow. By that time, I'd been fed up running with shin pain. Like it was two and a half years of, of running with shin pain. So my return was, you know, the first after six weeks off, it was three lots of 500 meter runs that week. Then it was three lots of 1K uh, runs. Then the next week, three lots of 2Ks. 11 weeks later, I'm up to three lots of 10Ks. Uh, and then from then, I kind of thought, okay, I'm back pain-free running now. Now I can build back up again. So that was the first thing. And once I got to that point, I was a lot more patient and a lot more consistent with my training. And that paid off. Uh, in terms of training, it, it didn't really pay off in terms of racing. So the... My first year of Ironman, once I finally got to racing, um, I did 10 hours 12, which was a fairly solid time for my first year, but still a good 30, 40 minutes off qualifying. The second year, trained harder, smarter. And do you think that injury helped you train smarter there? Oh, definitely. A, a lot more accepting of... I wouldn't say I was perfect by any means, but I'd learnt a lot in that first 18 months of training. Um, the constant trips to the physio, uh, you know, eventually penetrating to my thick skull that, you know, you're not invincible and you have to be a bit more patient, um, have easy days, have days off every now and then. Uh, and I'd gone from trying to do, you know, five, six runs a week to doing five runs a fortnight, which might not sound like much, but the intensity was there and the distance was there. But with those five runs a fortnight combined, because running is my strength, obviously, combined with the biking and swimming allowed me a lot more consistency. So yeah, the, the second year, trained better, felt a lot more confident going in, thought I could give kind of 940 a nudge, which might get me a spot. 60Ks into the bike, the seat, the bolt that holds your seat onto your seat post snapped in half. Um, oh. First I knew about that is I was sliding on my back uh, on the asphalt at 40Ks an hour going, what the hell happened then? Picked myself up, grabbed the bike, went to jump on, I went, where the hell's my seat? Um, oh. looked around and it was 20 metres back up the road tried to put it back together and of course there's just you, know, you can't because the, the bolts sheared into so a fair few swear words were uttered um, couldn't do anything about it so how did that feel because that's a so mechanical fortunately is not an issue that we face as much in ultra running I mean a shoe could blow out or something like that but something where it's outside of your control how did yeah. that how did that make you sucked. feel at the time sucked big time Really, really, so I was pretty angry. Um, but my first thought was still that I could salvage this. So I thought, okay, should I should I jump on my bike and try and ride it without the seat? Uh, maybe I can get to a checkpoint and maybe they'll have something to uh, to fix it with. You know, standing up the whole time, so like that'll suck. But you know, maybe maybe I maybe I could do that. While I was still contemplating this, a kind of uh, a medical van came past and asked if I was okay. I said, you know, look, I'm okay, but this is what happened to my seat. Fortunately for, well, fortunately or unfortunately, fortunately for me, they had a, the same bike in the van from another competitor who had DNF'd, 
medically. So they got the seat off that bike no and put it way. onto my bike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was pretty cool. Um, I'd lost probably 20 or 30 minutes by this time. So even that point, I kind of still thought, oh, it's only 20, 30 minutes. Maybe I can salvage this. Being the optimistic, headstrong um, bloke that I was. So I got back on, started riding and pushed super hard for the next 30, 40 k's. And as you know, you guys know, you, you can't make up time by pushing super hard and expect not to have some consequences later on in the run. The seat was a different setting to mine, so my back was sore because I'd stretched out more than I was on my old seat. So I got off the bike and um, felt crap running because I pushed too hard on the bike and ended up running, I think it was 10.40 or 11.10 or something like that anyway. So missed out by an hour and a half. So I was pretty gutted about that. So again, post-race, you have this post-race analysis where you kind of go, man, all that work, all that training. And I, I didn't race at all. I, I did a few other small triathlons, but you know, I'd do a 200k bike ride on Saturday and do a, do a short race on Sunday. So the other races were nothing apart from training, training runs. So it wasn't like I had kind of three or four other good races in the year to kind of hang my hat on for the year. So yeah, it was, it was pretty gutting just to have that one race taken away from me for the year due to no fault of your own whatsoever. So again, the thought process is, okay, is this really what I do? Do I want to put another whole year of training back in? Do I want to put my life on hold for another year? Stay at home, work 20 hours a week, make all the sacrifices? And it was a pretty easy decision for me. It was like, I'm not giving up now. <laughs> I've invested two and a half years of my life in this. And um, if anything, I just want it even more. So back I went again, another year's training, um, rocked up again a year later. This time, the day before the race, I walked through some bushes in the car park, getting from you know, one plate back to my car. Five wasps stung me on the arm uh, the day before the race. I'm hop sensitive to insect bites, so I got three stings in one spot in my bicep, a sting higher up in my shoulder and a sting in my forearm. Fortunately, it's not like I'm needing anaphylactic shock and need an EpiPen or anything. I just get kind of fairly big swelling and feel a bit shitty for, for a few days afterwards. Tried to put it off, you know, I'll be all right. Started the swim, did the swimmer rights. Time was pretty good. Came out of the swim and looked down at my arm and had an arm the size of Arnold Schwarzenegger. I went, mm, that's, Advantage, that's yeah, not... definitely. <laughs> that's why you're swimming so well. More power for that stroke. <laughs> circles. That's not good, but like, what are you going to do? Like... Yeah. Hopped on the bike. Uh, the first half of the bike was reasonable. Then I started getting a bit lightheaded and dizzy, um, a little bit nauseous. Again, not, not great riding a bike and definitely not great with a marathon yet to come. Pushed on and the bike ride I finished in a reasonable time. Like It was slower than what I was hoping for, but I kind of thought maybe I can still salvage this. Started <laughs> running. Oh, I had a seat the whole way, so it's a lot more comfortable. Way. Um, started running and then very quickly realized that this was not good. Within a K, I was feeling very dizzy, very lightheaded to the point where I was like starting to, to weave and like, this is not good. Started to walk. And as soon as I started walking, I kind of thought, okay, that, that feels better. So I walked for a K, started running again. And when I started running, I was like, go on, go, go, go. Because all the people around, it's like, it's not that I don't want to run. I can run. It's just like my... My head feels like it's I'm about to collapse if I do run. Tried again and the same thing happened and eventually I resigned myself to the fact that okay, I'm not gonna be able to run. 
Once again, being the stubborn idiot I am sometimes, I walk the rest of the marathon and finish the marathon in 6 hours 50. Um, finish the run in, finish the, uh, the triathlon in 14 and a bit hours or something. Again, pretty gutted. Um, another year gone by. Yep, so at this stage, then you've had your injury where, okay, you could say, okay, that one's on me. I, you know, I made these mistakes. I got these injuries for these reasons. I can fix this. You've now had two, your two big goals, essentially, for two years in a row taken away from you pretty much by things yeah. that were outside of your control, that, you know, your seat broke and some wasps stung you. That's, that's bad luck. How is that all then affecting, you know, your relationship there with racing, with the process of training? What what, what are yeah, you thinking look, there moving forward? It's pretty gutting at the time. I still get a bit of emotional thinking about it, to be honest. Um, but I suppose it just comes down to me, and I've referred to this already, it just comes down to, do I really want to do this? And when I analysed that thought, like, I didn't have to think long about it at all. It was like, yes, I do. I'm the kind of guy, I like to think that things happen for a reason. Obviously, they don't. It's, it's just random luck that shit happens sometimes. But one way of coping with it is to think that things happen for a reason. And I try and turn it around into a positive and think, okay, well, no, doing it again next time is going to make me an even better athlete. I can have even better chance of qualifying. But yeah, I'd be lying if I said it didn't, um, didn't affect me for a while. I mean... The first three or four weeks post Ironman, you often go through a bit of a lull anyway. Um, even if, like the same goes for ultras, you know, anyone who's done a 100k, 100 mile race often feels that two or three weeks after the race, they get this bit of emotional lull, a bit of a kind of like lost my mojo, a bit of flat spot. You get over the big high of finishing a race and have this kind of period of time where you're kind of like, uh, life's a bit kind of tedious. But then you, you get back into it again. And when you have a race where you don't get the big high at all, and you still put in the effort, like I still put in a 14-hour day, and it's the culmination of a whole year's training. Um, the lull's significant. You know, I just retreated into my shell a bit and kind of went through a period of uh, mourning or grieving is probably too strong a word because it's, mm. you know... Uh... <laughs> well, I mean, a grief response is quite a natural one. That is, Although, yes, it may not be quite on the same level as you know if you're losing a loved one or something like that you have lost something that you've just dedicated yeah. a lot of time and effort to and yeah that and i mean and research backs this up that athletes yeah with major injuries tend to go through pretty much very similar sort of stages of grieving as they move towards that eventual acceptance phase yeah i think i think the acceptance phase was easier in one way because it was out of my control so i didn't have to beat myself up about it like the injury when i first got into it because when it's your own fault and it's your own stupid mistakes you've made, the acceptance is a little bit more difficult because you're always going, well, I shouldn't have done that. Whereas I didn't have to do that because there's nothing I should have done that would have, you know, I shouldn't have walked through those bushes in the car park. It's like, you know. So from that point of view, that was a little bit easier, but you know, it was still pretty difficult emotionally to kind of get back to a place where I was refocused and positive again, having gone two years in a row to do that. And my family came up both times. You know, there was a... You know, two-day drive from Adelaide up to Forsyth-Tunkari, so they came up to support and seeing the disappointment. And did that make you feel better or worse, having the family there? That obviously, you've got some social support there, having your family there, but, you know, they've also come there to watch you yeah. race and you haven't then necessarily performed. Did you feel like that made it easier? Uh, worse or of anything. Harder? You feel like you let them down, even though subconsciously you know you haven't. You know, being a parent now... Did they feel like you'd let no, them down? No, of course not. No, no not at all. Um... My mum and dad are very supportive. 
of, of my athletic uh, endeavours. But it's just that, you know, as, as we all can relate to, like you feel like you've let close family and friends down, even though you know, they just want the best in you, they want to see you do well, and they don't feel like you've let them down. Um, nevertheless, it doesn't make it any easier for you. So yeah, it wasn't wasn't easy. Yeah, it wasn't easy at all. But you know, you bounce back. You kind of figure out, okay, is this really what I want to do? Um, yes, it is. So I need to get over this at some stage, which I did, and then got back into training the next time. So this is now year four. Um, so I had another really good year of training. This time the race went really, really well. Did nine hours forty or forty-two or something? I can't remember exactly. The the thing with qualifying for Hawaii is it's not a set time. You have to get a set position in your age group. So obviously it's up to other competitors to whether you get a time or not. So fourth year running, parents came up to, to watch as well. Did 9.40, went from a 6 hour 50 marathon to a 3 hour 10 marathon. Still missed out, missed out by 10 minutes or so. Would have been every other year for the previous 15 years would have qualified me that year. This year, that particularly missed out again by about 10 minutes. And did that feel like that was an external thing or did that feel more like, well, you know, that's on me, I didn't go fast enough? Um, no, that was still external. I, I felt like, you know, I'd done the time that historically would have got me a spot in every other year. I can't control others. All I can do is the best I could do. I felt like that race, I didn't. Like, it wasn't as though I, I now analysed the race and went, shit, I lost five minutes here, I lost five minutes there. I could have gone 15 minutes faster. I kind of felt like I had the best race with the fitness I had on the day. So I didn't have to beat myself up um, in terms, like, you know, you know, in ultra, you might think oh, I missed out on 14 hours, but I had 45 minutes of checkpoints. It's like, why didn't I just like spend less time at checkpoints and would have gone my sub 14, like idiot. So I didn't have to do that kind of thing. I, I thought I raced it really, really well. But again, it's like, it's another year. It's four years now um, of missing out. At least I had some you know, post-race excitement of a good race. But the, the whole goal wasn't to have a good race. The whole goal was to do Hawaii. So I still fell short. Um, but it, it did give me some validation that the last three years things have been on track. Because just because, you, as you know, just because you can finish a half Ironman doesn't mean you can finish an Ironman well. Just because you can do a half marathon doesn't mean you can do a 100-mile race very well. So for, for three years, I had no validation that my training was actually effective. Like, I didn't know. I had no... I mean, I'd got faster, my training runs had all got faster and bike had got quicker and swim times had got quicker. But as far as putting together in a race, I didn't have any validation for three years until that fourth time I've done the Ironman. So from that point of view, it was encouraging, but also gutting in that, again, I'd fallen short. Um, you, you mentioned there about the validation from the results. Were you enjoying the process? Yeah, I mean, I'd always been about the process. I, don't, I think if I'd not been about the process... I don't know whether I would have kept going um, because it's, you know, three years of no validation that the training's effective is a long, long time to have, to just be training for a race rather than enjoying the actual training itself. So luckily enough, I'm always the type of person that I, I love training and I love hard training. I don't really need much motivation to do that. So yeah, I think that's what kept me going. I think if I wasn't that type, if I was the type that only trained to race, then it would have been particularly gutting because the three years, virtually nothing to happen. So the fourth year was, was pleasing from that point of view at least, but again, come up short. Um, so it was back to the drawing board. And I kind of looked at, 
I looked at the times, looked at the what was needed. When I first started this, I thought 940 would qualify me because every other year I had. So I looked at my training, okay, well, how can I get quicker? I thought I could improve on the run, even though I'd run 310, I thought I could go quicker than that. I knew I could improve on the bike, and I thought the swim, maybe a minute or so, but the swim's you know, less than an hour as it is, so there's not going to be too much of a gain there. So I finally had um, another good year of training, and then fifth year finally kind of pulled it off and did 919 and ran 303 and was finally rewarded for you know, five years of hard work. Um, but, but I think, you know, the key take-homes for me is constantly thinking about why you're doing this and whether it's worthwhile. And I think if you if you lose track of why you're doing things, you can get too sucked into the kind of um, injured, can't train, this sucks, training again, injured again, this sucks. And you kind of lose track of the fun of it. I also think for me that one of the biggest things that helped me through the injury process and the setbacks is future planning. Um, I'm the type of guy, as soon as I get injured, the first thing I do is look at, well, the first thing I do is get a diagnosis, figure out what the injury is and get a plan on how long is it going to take me before I can get back to training again. Once I've got that, and that's, you know, initially it was through physios who would advise me. Now I've got enough knowledge I probably won't know myself. But as soon as I've got that, the first thing I do then is map out my training for the next six weeks. So I can see a future ahead. I can see where I'm going and where I'm getting back into things. Because then it feels like I've got control again. When you feel like you haven't got control, that's when I think it's really hard to, to cope with things. And that's constant with any kind of loss of anything. You, you feel a loss of control. And that can be difficult to, to, to deal with. So I think as soon as you get some control back, in terms of planning out what you can do, I think it's much, much easier to, to cope with not training and not racing. And that's, you know, that's advice, advice I'd give people is to make a plan because once you've got a plan, it's usually a lot easier. And it might be a plan where, you know, not even running, like as a coach, the first thing you do is to say, okay, what can you do? You can't run, but what can you do? You know, can you hike? Can you do bike? Can you do elliptical? Can you do strength training? So we, you know, mapping out for our clients what they can do to feel like they're doing something positive. I learned from experience that doing nothing, which is what I felt like doing most of the time when I got injured, is just like, now, being an all-or-nothing kind of person, being kind of like I'm in 100% or I'm not in at all, initially anyway, when I got injured, I just do nothing, just sit back and just do nothing for a week or two weeks. And you know, within a couple of years, I figured out that wasn't the best response because often doing nothing for an injury doesn't fix the problem and you're left with you know the same niggle you had two weeks ago, you still got. So always figuring out what you can do, it helps the injury, it helps the mental process of, of accepting the injury and moving on from that injury and it feels like you've got control back again which i think helps your enjoyment of training as well and did you find that that similar sense of control helped with the setbacks from when you know when races didn't go to plan that where they you know didn't go to plan because of something outside of your control was that did that make it harder or easier then go well okay i can control my training so i'm just going to focus on moving forward with that yeah it was it was acknowledging that some things you can't control and Trying to become okay with that as best you can because there's nothing you can do about it. You've got a choice. You can either accept it that some things are outside your control or you can stress about it. And stressing about things that are outside your control is pointless. It doesn't give, like, it's just a useless waste of time. Well, counterproductive. Usually. Counterproductive, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you've got to learn to accept it. And that's obviously not easy. And I, I took a little while to, to kind of get my head around that. But once you do, then you realize that it's just. Can, as you said, counterproductive. So like on the bike, 
you know, the, the thing about a bike is it's nerve-wracking because you get a flat tyre, that could be the difference between qualifying and not qualifying. You could miss out by two minutes just purely because you got a flat tyre. But there's nothing you can do about that. So you've just got to accept that, okay, it will be what it will be. I've done all I can. I've rocked up to the start line, ticking all the boxes I possibly can to make sure the things that are out of my control don't happen to a degree, but accepting that there are things that I have no control over. And then just focus more on what you can control. That's that's the key thing is you've got a certain amount of headspace you can allocate. And for me, allocating that headspace to what I can control is better than thinking about what I can't control. Okay, so, so the big takeaways there being keeping your why, what knowing why you're doing it, um, and yeah, making sure that you focus on what that internal locus of control, making sure that you focus on what you can control and accepting the things you can't. Yeah, I think the other thing that really helped too was surrounding myself with people doing the same stuff as me. I think if I was an island, it would have been more difficult. I, I trained pretty much by myself, but I did do some group sessions and you know, a mate of mine did a long ride together and I had a coach um, at that time as well. So I think being surrounded by people doing similar stuff to you kind of gives you confidence that you can do it as well. So I think those people that are injured for a long time or even you know, a month or two getting and volunteering can be challenging initially because you're standing there watching people do what you want to do but I also think it's really positive and it's likely to lead to a better mindset and a quicker recovery than if you just shut yourself in a room and pretend that people aren't running around you like you know try to isolate yourself put yourself in a little bubble so I think once you're ready opening yourself up I know that helped for me is you know talking with mates and who were doing the same stuff as me and seeing them do well kind of reinforce the fact that I could do well there's a combination there of having that social support and also having those role models in a sense of people who have been through that same process beforehand. Yeah, role models I think are really important. I think we all have our athletes that we really admire, but typically those athletes are, are far above our ability. So, you know, you might admire Killian John A, but I know I'm never going to be a patch on Killian. He did For get stung by the, a bee, though. Sorry? He did get stung by a bee, not dissimilar to you getting stung by a wasp, so there's a very similar... <laughs> 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 so yeah I, I found you know the guys in my group that are already qualified for hawaii kind of gave me a fair bit of motivation knowing that you know what i'm i'm running the same as them or if not beating them in, in training so there's no reason why i can't do what they're doing so i think that that really helps and i'd, I'd recommend as much as i like training solo i think doing some either you know b or c races as we talked about in the previous podcast and with others to kind of surround yourself with like-minded people to kind of, particularly if you're stepping up, to kind of just see, like, others are doing this, I can do this too. Running forums nowadays, it's easy to kind of belong to a forum and chat with others and just get a sense. Obviously, the danger is comparison. And looking back, you know, I've had this kind of six weeks off, no running, and they're running every day for six weeks. I'm going to be so far behind, I can't compete with them. That's the downside of being, you know, in close contact with runners. And I think you need to understand your own psychology and think about when you're ready to start mingling with runners again even if you can't run or it's a negative and you need to get through that acceptance period first before you can start mingling with other people but I think longer term once you get through that acceptance surround yourself with like-minded people is rarely a negative thing and almost always a positive thing yeah and you mentioned there though for you that you do most of your training alone and so you know you perhaps need a little bit of time before um you know associating with the runners as many as much for other people you know running is their social life yeah 
And actually, that's as much the threat as anything, that when they get injured and can't go running with their running buddies, it's, you know, their social life sort of collapses. And it's about, you know, finding ways to hang out with runners that isn't just running, you know, still perhaps going for the coffee afterwards and things like that. I also think for me, what helped is external hobbies. You know, as much as, you know, a lot of us are pretty busy, so we run, we've got family, study, work, whatever. I think when you can't run for whatever reason, you kind of have this five, eight, ten, twelve hours a week where it's suddenly like, I could sleep in, but like that's only a few hours gone. I've still got all this free time. But now what do I do with it? Like, okay, I could spend some time with the kids. That's great. Um, but for me, you know, but that's like living at home with, with no partner and no kids. I just play guitar. And I found that a really helpful release of, of you know, energy and stress and stuff just to plow my kind of self into that rather than sit around and be, be kind of miserable for, for four weeks until I could run again. So I think my advice generally speaking is when you do have a period of time, either post-race you need to take a step back for a month to recover or you've got an injury and you need to take some time off, is try and find some other meaningful activity in your life to use that time because it'll help you deal with the fact that you're not running far, far better than if you were just kind of like moping about, thinking, oh, I wish I could run today. And look, if, if, if your life is so skewed that, there is nothing in your life apart from running. So I think you probably need to take a little bit of a holistic view of your life uh, and realise there probably is more to you than just a runner. Like you are other things to, to other people, at least you need to realise that yourself and get a bit better balance in your life. There's, there's very few of us that would benefit from thinking of themselves as a runner, solely a runner and always a runner. It's, it's usually a negative uh, mindset to be in. Absolutely. So... We've touched on there largely in your triathlon career there. Are there any major setbacks, injuries, or races that can go to plan in your ultra-running career that you want to talk about? Um, ultras was, was a lot better. I was a lot wiser. Still just as determined, but that determination was kind of tapered with some common sense and acceptance. So I coped a lot better with ultras. I mean, to the point... So you probably took those lessons from the yeah, triathlons yeah. to the ultras and were able to by then you know you, you had those formative yeah. years as we sort of as i mentioned right at the start where that's sort of your developmental years even though you know you're in your 20s but this is what we're sort of talking about with ultra runners and that where we're in 30s 40s 50s 60s that you know those developmental years are still in adulthood where you then learn those lessons that you can then apply later on and hopefully things then perhaps go yeah i mean the smoother. two things i had with ultras i did a 100k road race in ireland hoping to qualify for the Australian team. It was a 1K out, 1K back course on the road. And 45Ks in, my ITB flared up, and 50Ks in, I realised that it was only going to get worse and I was never going to run seven and a half hours, which is what I was on track for. So I meant that pretty much didn't have a chance to make the team that year, which which sounds pretty gutting, but um, you know, with the lessons that I learned, I just refocused. Uh, instead, I qualified for the World Trail Champs in the, in the Aussie team and ran the World Trail Champs instead. And it was a fairly quick process of getting over that race, uh, getting back into training and moving on. It was just, okay, that's that's what it is. And then I had a, um, a DNF at Great North Walk where I collapsed due to heat stroke at oh, was it 60, 70Ks or something, I can't remember now. But again, it was quite weird being home that night when I should have been out running. And you know, a couple of days of kind of feeling a bit sorry for myself, but then it was pretty much straight back into, okay, what's next, back into training. So really, you know, if I took them in isolation and missing out on a chance of running for the Australian team and missing out on a race where, you know, 
in GNW, if all had gone well, I, w I was on track for top 10, maybe even top 5. Looking at it in isolation would be pretty gutting runs, but with the experience that I had, it was like, yeah, well, that's disappointing, but no big deal. It's all right. Well, that's what you touched on earlier with that sort of grief response to those sort of setbacks that it sounds like, you know, it took a bit longer to process those emotions when you were starting out and it was a new sort of experience that by, by the time, you know, in your... Uh, running the ultras and having those sort of similar sort of setbacks that you've been through it before you know that the sun will get up yeah. tomorrow and you're able to process that all i think quicker. also once you've been through it you realize and this is the same with acceptance of, of anything whether it's you know running or a broken relationship or a, a death or whatever you realize that at some stage you're going to feel better um and with running you know it's not going to be that far away like you know, from from experience, I might be miserable for two weeks or three weeks or whatever, but eventually I'm going to forget all that. I'm going to be back happy training again. So once you understand that acceptance is going to come, you kind of go, well, so much point being miserable about it, is there? Like, you know, you have those few days where you allow yourself to be miserable, but then like you get better and better just kind of letting it go and moving on because obviously it's a much happier place to be uh, putting it behind you rather than wallowing in your own self-misery for, for weeks on end going away with me, um, which I can be, you know, ask my mum and she'll tell you I was certainly <laughs> guilty of that in my early years. Yeah, and as you sort of said before, though, it, having that time and experience in the sport really helps that when you've only been running for a year or competing or whatever for a year and you're facing an injury that might take six months to rehab from, that seems like forever because you right. have yeah. your training age is one year and so six months, yeah. that's half of your training life. Once yeah. you've been in the sport 10, 15 years and you're looking at six-week injury, you're like, oh, six weeks, that's the blip on the radar. Yeah, yeah. And that, that makes it much easier to handle, for sure. Yeah. Good. So, yeah, it's a really good example there of how you're able to apply those lessons from the early career and sort of the later running career and then hopefully, yeah, moving forwards. I mean, I hope you don't have any more major setbacks, but they are <laughs> inevitable because that's I life. And yeah. hopefully, yeah, it's easier to deal with because of those formative experiences. Yeah. So, I guess, Simon, it's your turn <laughs> moving on that you, I gather you haven't had quite as many, uh, haven't had as many sort of serious injuries, but you've not certainly that, yeah. had some races that haven't gone as you've Yeah, certainly planned. not the niggles and the, or, or the sort of the, the overuse injuries and stuff i didn't really get them as a kid when i was a cross-country and sort of athletic um sort of career when i was younger and um i, I think m most of mine have been when i have had something like a broken toe or i've fallen over and i've hurt myself rather than something like that so they've got often a a more limited sort of recovery period you can i guess you you know you've broken your toe it's going to take six weeks give or take um but it was when it was leading up to specific races buffalo stampede um, Grand Slam I, I broke my toe and then after six weeks I went for my first major run um, and I fell um, on my third or fourth rep of Mount Warning and I gave myself a serious hematoma in my quad and um, yeah just I, I, it was interesting you talk about setbacks and how devastating that is to, to think oh the toe was one thing and I thought I'd really that's it the race was over and then the hematoma within the same training block um Ironically, I end up running one of the best races because I think everything had been going so well. It it actually pulled me back a little bit on my ego. I think I was really going well at the time and I think I checked myself a little bit and I was still carrying a little bit of the injury as I went into the race. And because it was a three-day event, um, the first day I went up very cautiously 
and managed to maintain it. Second day, I found myself in the top five or five or four, I think. Um, and and by the time it got to the third day, I was actually running really really well and ended up finishing in the top four then. And so it was a quite an interesting setback from the point of view that it it did knock me on the short term, but it actually did have some kind of benefits where it did it it kind of pulled me back a little bit. Um, and it, it, at least. I think yeah, check my ego is probably the best <laughs> the best way of describing it because I really did think things were going well, um, and it, it and, and certainly as we know with the ultras it's easy to go out too hard, and to then find yourself, you know, suffering. And by the, the previous year there was only one or two people had completed the Grand Slam, um, so I was very cautious and worried about that. So I think that setback definitely it it paid dividends in a strange way that I I couldn't have foreseen before it happened. I think. So that's one of those things where Andy was saying earlier about, you know, you you know, everything happens for a reason and okay, no, we create yes, meaning do, yeah. from these things. But that's sort of a good example there where it's like it's hard to say, yeah, you no. broke your toe for a reason, but it's like in hindsight, it provided that important lesson and it really, you know, put a uh, leash on your ego for the race because of it. And so it can be that uh, lesson I think in disguise. Because, because you're probably not going to take an imposed rest when a block's going so well. But sometimes it's maybe not always the worst thing in the world, but you wouldn't purposefully put it there. But it just so happened that it that it worked out for me. Um, you know, they say, you know, smooth seas don't make uh, good sailors and things like that. So anytime we talk about these kind of things where something goes wrong, you know, you learn. And it's, it's, the, it's, it's you know, you don't always lose. You, you, you learn. And uh, I, I think I learned a lot from those, from something like that. Um, but yeah, sorry. Yeah, I think, you know, in terms of creating a reasoning, it's a good way to look at it, Ben. I think, you know, unless you believe that, you know, everything does happen for a reason and the universe is kind of like, we've got some kind of greater plan for you. A lot of us believe that things just happen randomly, but I think it gives us an opportunity to go, well, how can I use this positively? Instead of kind of bitching and moaning about it and going, woe is me, how can I turn this into something positive from it and use it as an experience to do that rather than just kind of like trying to, get over it and forget about it and hopefully it doesn't happen again. I think we can learn from every experience we have if, if we choose to. Yeah, completely. Yeah, yeah. I think I guess, that I, I mean, the rest of my setbacks have been things where something's gone wrong. Navigationally, I've, I, first we talked about the Great North Walks, the GNW, two years in a row. In fact, it was the year I, I remember going, seeing you sitting on the side of the trail that time when you had that, that, that terrible year for you. But... Uh, but, but getting lost um, on in, in navigation, the setbacks there, the, the mindset of trying to reset your race, how hard it hits you when you have. You've trained so hard. It was one of the first experiences I've had. I'd, I'd put so much family time into it. I'd put so much commitment into it. It was something that meant to me a lot. It's arbitrary to so many other people, but to me it was this proving something to myself that I could do it and, and then getting lost and then and just being devastated, running so well and then suddenly finding yourself two and a half hours behind where you thought you were because you had to go back to a checkpoint to recheck in and then go back again. Uh, annoyingly, to do almost exactly the same the second year was was just embarrassing. But um, at a different point, I will say. But but again, double, it was, I had somebody else pacing me that time and we took another another path. And it, it just, by the time you've done it twice, you're thinking, I'm an idiot. But and it is, it's dealing with that. And I think we've spoke to this before where... It's not a 5K or a 10K where in two weeks' time you can just go and right the wrongs that you've, that you've done. It's, it's, these are much... The, the fatigue and the recovery and the training or that race 
it happens once a year to have to wait 12 months is so so frustrating and annoying to have to get it right that far in the future it does and it, we've said you know just that that kind of that whole commitment that personal goal that what you want to get from it it's it is devastating it, it or it can be devastating it, at least it feels that way so how did you deal with it after that second wrong turn i bought equipment that stopped me getting lost <laughs> i think <laughs> more becoming more experienced and learning um, realizing that when they said read the maps and read the instructions there's a reason they say that but if you're not prepared to do that at least get the gpx files and put them onto your watch and then look at your watch because sometimes there would be a crosswords and you could spend 10 minutes going down the other three options but to look at a gps or a gpx file on your watch that just has an arrow just took just it just took all of the thinking out of it it was fantastic so yeah i learned i became more experienced i seen other people around me doing these things and just thought they were you know they were magic but uh, yeah it, it is it's learning um that there are ways of hacking those simple mistakes those setbacks that you could do you know um yeah and equipment today's podcast is probably oh, no, actually <laughs> it wasn't a garment but yeah yeah but mm. snapping a pole you said before equipment like with, with a with with a bike post on your you know in, in uh, great southern endurance race within the first 5k coming down my ball my pole snapped and i really did think having depended so much on that in my training that that was going to be a major aspect to my race going wrong and having to switch my head in fact, I had somebody running alongside me saying, that's your race done, mate. You're done. And I was like, just the cycle, I think somebody getting into your head and trying to tell you that you were, that's it. And it was just trying to stay a positive thinking, no, and then fortunately, no, it wasn't, not at 5K. That wasn't your pacer no, you telling you that, was I it? I don't do pacers. Um, <laughs> oh, no, I was just going to say, you need a new pacer. It was somebody who was friends with, though, who wanted to beat me, so that's it. I think he was getting in my head. But anyhow... <laughs> mind games completely oh, but yes you know somebody gave me a set of poles when we got to the first aid station which was just a miraculous you know thing of of luck that they could give me that but uh yeah i think that's initially for the previous for the first 20 k's i was in my head thinking right how are you going to do this how are you this 12,000 or 11,000 meters of elevation in that race and most of my training had been done with poles so that sort of setback within the race was something that I had to quickly adjust and change my mindset and think what am I going to do fortunately it solved itself and and, and that didn't become too big a problem but um but yeah this uh, I guess you know this my my, my step like things like plantar fasciitis and things like that where I in 2019 I, I, I raced and then in 2020 didn't race when I came back to run again getting little niggles you know plantar and tight itbs and stuff like that that's that's taken a lot longer than i would have liked to come back because i just wanted to have a bit of a break and then start again and in fact it was quite a again a great lesson in remembering about building from building that base building from scratch starting again because i just did i did think i could just switch it off and then switch it back on again but six to eight months of me really only doing 10 20 k's a week i couldn't switch it back on again and it has taken me over 12 months to to really get back into any sort of real feeling of it actually being consistent and maybe the last couple of few months um i've started to feel that but yeah that that sort of frustration of just yeah of, of wanting to switch it back on and it not being there and getting my head around that's been very very frustrating for sure yeah 
going back to your GNW experience, Simon, so, you know, you'd turned, you'd made a wrong turn, you'd lost hours. Why didn't you DNF? Why didn't you just pull out? What, what was the mindset to kind of put that behind you and keep going and not just pull the pin? Because my first ultra I did, the West Thailand Way, 95 miles, and me and a mate, we and a guy I didn't know at the time, took a wrong turn and we lost about 45 minutes. He pulled out the next checkpoint because he just couldn't, couldn't deal with losing that time yeah. and blew it. So what, how did you kind of put that behind you and, and keep going? There was, there was a couple of major things. The first, um, it was my first ever ultra over 50k. I hadn't done any 100k races, as I've said to you before. It was a friend of mine who'd done previous 100ks who said, let's do 100 mile together. So we were running it at that point and we both got lost. And then we came. So when we got back to the aid station, I was very positive. I was like, no, we're getting this done. It was This was at the 80 kilometer mark or so. Um, and he was having a bit of a wobble. For the next 20k, by the time I got to the 100k mark, that positivity had gone. And he was being positive then. And I ran into it. And that's where you can pick up. It was the first time I one of the only times I had a pacer and there were there were two people that I didn't really know and they'd sat all day waiting for me and they quite simply refused to let me pull out because they said how rude I was for turning up at a Saturday night when they could have been out um, and I turned up and they said no you will at least do the gracious thing and get to the next checkpoint because we've sat around all day waiting for you and, they, and I, at the time I barely knew um, uh, Luke Martin who, who and and, uh, and uh, those guys who, who did that for me and it was just I, I remember thinking because with GNW when you get to the 100 kilometre mark they will if you enter the 100 mile they will give you a time so there was mm. more than enough excuse I could, I could kind of be happy to say that was a completion of my first 100k even though it hadn't been my intention and I could have walked away and said yep yeah, I completed something but no, they absolutely refused to do that. Um, I got to, oh, abs- well, absolutely. <laughs> so and, and, you know, and I think by the time I did get to that next checkpoint, I then, I, I did the kind of the motion to the neck that was like, that's me done because that was the agreement. And then they switched between genuine positivity and trying to get me motivated and, and then switched to pure full-on assault and abusing me and calling me all names under the sun and it was kind of comedic in the whole way they did it and after 40 minutes they just said you're getting this done and it was it was support it was it was the people around me that i would never ever have completed my my first proper ultra 100 miler would have been a dnf and i may never ever have recovered from that because it was it was the am i the sort of person that can run this distance was the reason that I probably got into it in the first place. I seen these people doing these things, looked at it and thought, oh, there's something superhuman and, and special about these people. Maybe I'm not one of those types of people. Um, so I had the let me DNF then, I may never have gone back and I may never have actually thought that I was capable of doing something past that. So I, I, their, their encouragement and their, their insistence that I could do it and to get over myself basically, have a cup of concrete and harden up, it was pretty much the was the attitude and um, yeah support just that that's what it was because that was the biggest for me I, I I never thought I would be able to finish that race and once I did then I felt like anything was possible um, and and that's how and then, and then from then it, you know years and years and years of running ultras now it's because I can keep referring to things like that where sometimes no matter how low you are in a race like an ultra you can spend time to reset you can if if, if you've got the patience to sit and wait and if you haven't got super massive expectations of yourself um 
which I can talk to later on, of when my expectations got more and got, and got greater, that's when mental things started happening with me where I, th- I, I felt like I was letting myself down. But at this point, it was just about completion. It was just getting there. And yeah, that, that was more like, am I able to? Whereas later on, it became, can I do it in certain times? Can I get certain positions? And then mid-race, you can start, you then start fighting your own head over numbers, uh, essentially. And whether that's actually important or not depends on, you know, the terrain, the weather, your nutrition, all sorts of other things. But I certainly, um, any other, you know, similar kinds of doubts that I've had have, have normally came not from... Uh, a, f- a physical thing that's happened to me but me imagining that I should finish at a certain time or finish in a certain position and I've got myself really frustrated and that's when I felt that things have gone wrong for me because I've I, I've put a number on it and I've tried to achieve a number rather than just going into the race and going I will I will execute my plan and see how I how, how I get spewed out of the end of the day sometimes I kind of it's gone wrong when I've tried to name a time and stick to that time and when it's gone wrong get myself all hot and bothered about it so yeah I, I, I think the numbers can sometimes get into your head too much so it's really about having defined goals that when you have that sort of process goal for the race that it's okay you can keep referring back to okay what is that process and keep going back to that when it is one mm-hmm. centered more around executing the best race possible and completion that even when things are going horribly, you can still keep referring to that. When you have a more mm-hmm. um, external goal, so something like a set time, a set position, there are a whole host of factors outside of your control that can impact that. Or mm-hmm. if you're simply not up to that task Absolutely. on the day, then yeah. Yeah. you're going to totally agree fall with that. short of it. So Simon, you've alluded to this race, so let's rip the Band-Aid off and uh, get it out in the open. UTMB, tell us about it. Ah, oh, don't get me started. I, I, I'll stop. Yeah, yeah. This is like a psychology therapy session because I, I, it, it, after after having a few years of thing getting better and better and thinking things were going my way, for me it was that, and for a lot of us, a lot of our races have those, you know, qualifying points, and it was, could you get to UTMB and could you do what you ex. It, it, it just it's mad. Yeah, it, it yeah, becomes so it's a so, like, you know, It became more than really what it should have done, and and I was. Uh, overawed by the whole experience, I got there. The you know, I, I, the previous year I had been to Switzerland when I'd visited my parents in the UK, so I I did have some experience of running through the mountains. In in what actually looking back was a much much tougher race, Monte Rosa in Switzerland. I still think is a much tougher race than than UTMB, but I had an entirely different expectation. I think because I knew that UTMB was going to be more runnable, and what I again it goes to that the time. I thought I, I, I should be able to do a certain time and finish and this was going to be the pinnacle of what I did and all this kind of nonsense. And, and, and as it started to slip away, there were certain expectations that I hadn't readied myself for. I run in, We run in Australia, it's super hot here most of the time. The year before UTMB, I'd seen friends with, you know, icicles on their beards and how cold it was. I thought this is going to be, you know, it was red hot the year I ran it. And I ended up getting heat stroke. I was sunburnt. My shoulders were blistered. I literally, I overlooked one of the most obvious things, running in heat. Um, but at the same time, and that affected my nutrition. And then once I had a this 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 these ideas of time or, or goals started to slip, I just convinced myself that there was something else wrong, and nobody could talk me out of it, and I had to stop. Um, <laughs> and it was just when I look back at it, I was at one hundred and twenty-five k's and 
around about 24 hours. I only had 50k to go and I had oodles of time. Like I just had to stop, sit, reset and do it. And on this particular occasion, it's my only DNF that I just, I convinced myself that no, I know there's something wrong here. There's something different. And I spoke to my parents who were, you know, my parents were there from the UK. My brother was there. There's all this expectation in my head, at least not from them. And, uh, yeah, it just, I convinced myself, that, oh, sorry, you'll be fine, just get to here. And I, no, no, there's something different. There's, and, and I convinced them that I knew something that they didn't know and therefore they couldn't convince me. And, and I'd specifically told them, no matter what I say, don't let me stop. So what I did is midway between two checkpoints, I sat down and there was some people with cars and one guy said to me, do you need a lift to the next checkpoint? And I said yes. And I got into the car and that was it. It was all over. Because <laughs> there was no way I could, and, and I couldn't, I didn't even give myself the chance to get to that checkpoint and then, and deal with it. I, I gave myself that out so that nobody could persuade me. And yeah, the, I still, between the heat stroke, nutrition, uh, goals of time, I, I, 12 months, 18 months, I still can't, I, I still can't forgive myself for stopping because I generally have and it's quite a I imagine terrible things that are happening around the world politically and and globally to to other people to con to say almost you are such a privileged and you stop being a baby and in this particular occasion I didn't and I I allowed myself to be drawn into the oh isn't the world terrible I'm I'm hurting in this race and oh you know and really it's just running. It's just, I'm out there in beautiful countryside and beautiful mountains. And all I had to do was sit down, have a rest and do it. And I allowed myself not to have a reality check. And, and that's, and certainly from my point of view, that's how I deal with it. I, I imagine famine or war or something like that is, is, is mad as that might sound to some people. And I tell myself, you've, you've got no idea. These people would swap like that to give what, to, to experience the minor discomfort that I'm currently feeling. And in this particular occasion, I didn't do that. And, and I, I really beat myself up about that quite a lot still, actually. <laughs> so how have you turned that around to, have you, have you turned around to, to take something positive from that? Nah, I don't know if I have. <laughs> um, I, I, I still beat myself up about it. Um, I, I think I've forgiven myself a little bit, um, but I can't forgive myself for that last point of just thinking, "You privileged baby." Um, <laughs> this I, I, I don't get. I won't get over that. I, I I do keep referring to the fact that I did get sunstroke and I did do that to give myself a a physical out, um, and so I can forgive myself for that and thinking, "Well, you made a mistake and you should learn from that, um, and you should be better prepared, and you know, put a hat on this time and put some sunscreen on and." hydrate more and all those sorts of things so yeah um but would i go back and do utmb again i i think if i'd fully forgiven myself and said all right i'm just gonna go like i did with gnw four times in a row until i got it right i don't know if i will with utmb i i, I just don't know if i'm that i just don't know i think i'd look for something different um and i don't know if it's the if, if it's just me not being able to cope with it um, because I, I just, it, I also think I know I can do it, it uh, but I'm not sure about, yeah, I, I, yeah, as you can tell, I'm still struggling with, with processing <laughs> so this. How much, <laughs> how much do you think that your 
given the UTMB is the standard of the race that is, it kind of sets the kind of your, you know, it's a world championship kind of event, it kind of establishes where you are as, as an ultra runner. How much do you think subconsciously you sabotaged that race when your race wasn't going to go to plan? I mean, you could have, as we've talked about, you could have got to a checkpoint, slept for six hours, got up and still finished. So how much do you think you were subconsciously going, I am not going to do the race I wanted to do and I don't want people to think I'm a 36-hour UTMB runner? The honest truth is, I think that that's a big part of it. I do think that I... Um, yeah, I, I, I think that was a major contributor. And I think, and I, and I don't like, and I don't like admitting to myself that, because I just think that it, nobody knows the conditions. Like we said before, the conditions of the day can, can have such a big factor on all sorts of things. But I do think it got into my head that, that I, there I was at UTMB, as you said, like a world championships, this is it, this is the pinnacle. And it was going to be my little barometer. Like, you know, when you run like a, a marathon and you have a certain time, which is comparable. And it just felt like one of those things where for the first time, it was maybe a race that more people than just my mates knew about that I could compare myself to. So yes, I, this should, yeah, I think I'd probably have to go with that a little bit that I'd, I, I beat myself up about falling victim to that mindset and thinking it didn't matter Simon you should have just <laughs> you should have just got on with it but you're right I think I did think I was I was going to end up five hours six hours slower than I really wanted to be and it, it bugged me a lot it really really did and it shouldn't but it did yeah and I hate to admit it but yes probably <laughs> how much of um in your recent 250k around the Caldera run how much do you think your UTMB experience helped or made no difference at all? Or what impact do you think that UTMB DNF had on your mindset in that 250-kilometre? Huge. Unsupported? Huge, or, huge, yeah. huge. I, I think that I've learned so much from that, that what I'd learned from that first GNW that when I wanted to quit and was told not to and I realised I could finish no matter what, I didn't apply that at UTMB. And I've gone to... It, it, that was... Yeah, I've gone to reapply that whole philosophy now of just, this is doable, get over it, you can do it. Barring a serious injury or something that's, that's wrong with you, if it's just that, there's no reason why you can't. And I think that when it came to go, doing the, the caldera that we did in April, um, it didn't matter. I, I, I knew I could keep going and I could just reset and reset and reset and granted it wasn't necessarily a race in the sense that we didn't have cut off times but there was a within reason you know i i couldn't just say oh, i'll take a week to do it um it, we wanted to it had to be a consistent movement and uh, and doing it to the best of our ability and i do think now that i consider different types of races now as something that, oh yeah that's doable because i don't need to and, and i probably would look at other races that are not just like UTMB anymore after doing the Caldera and learning from that experience that I do think I could go and keep on going and it, I would not quit anymore. <laughs> It'd come back to me in a year's time when I've DNF'd three more races. <laughs> <laughs> so to do you think UTMB possibly is the race you had to have to, re to redefine why you race in the first place? You were kind of getting... I'm putting words in, but annoyingly, carried away. Annoyingly, with... yes, because I, why, I wish I'd DNF'd at a different race, just not that one. Like, let just me DNF in yeah, another race sure. that was local and then I could have learned that experience. But to have flown, because to have flown from... Yeah, exactly. 
But would you have learnt it if it wasn't if it didn't have the years of qualification? Yeah, true. You, you, there, just, you just don't know. You don't know. Do you? Like, I, I do think UTMB. that would it the, still have the, had the, that the same emotional feeling response? Feeling like, like a spoiled brat and just pulling the pin because I because I wanted to. Uh, again, traveling from Australia all the way to Europe to take part in a race, expense point of view, I, I, people helped to get me there. People helped fund me to get there. There was a huge amount of expectation. I had even more reason to complete it for other people, and and I, and it still didn't work. And I, I wish I'd just I just wish I'd learned it. If I had one DNF before that, and I could have learned it, I could have done it. But you're right. I think it has taught me a lot, and it's 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 taught me to yeah, to harden up. <laughs> and probably a little bit less about final position or ranking and a bit more about the experience no absolutely as evidenced by the fact you you chose an completely unknown you created the route the 250 kilometer route you created that yourself rather than you know your next major race wasn't something where you could prove that you were the athlete you thought you were you went somewhere different and you go you know what i want to do this because i want to do it not because it's going to make me seem like a better runner or because in the eyes of other people, I'm a better athlete. It's just because I want to do it and it'll be fun and it'll be great. I have to be honest. So you think UTMB's helped? I did. A month after UTMB, they're going to do another 100 miler just to get the monkey off my back. That's right. Do you remember that? Yeah. I did actually go. I went went to the Narang 100 miler, which is like a 25 kilometer looped course. And it's... um, Yeah. Yeah. And it was just... And I, I did... I I just just muscled it out i didn't try to go hard or whatever i just went around and did that I, I sat down i had a bit of a nap i never sleep generally in races and i just wanted to finish it so i think it was four weeks or five weeks afterwards i knew there was going to be no performance but it was about reminding myself that you should have done that and it was probably a bit childish to do it but i had to get i, I had to i knew that it was going to be a long time before I had it also give me the points to qualify for UTMB actually that was the reason I did it for because <laughs> I knew for I thought, well I've got the training in my legs so I went and did Narang because it still gave me the six points and I knew then that having done UTA that year as well I would then have the points for the next two years and I would never have to race for 18 months I didn't have to train because I knew I had the points in the bag so in my head I think I still thought that UTMB was something and then COVID's happened so it was all whatever academic anyhow <laughs> and since covid you mentioned then it, you probably wouldn't get back to utmb it's that's changed your perspective on racing and why you race i think so i think i think i do like the the element of going and doing something i, I loved being in the mountains there and i think if i was going to go and do all that if i was going to spend that much effort and time to get over to france again um I'm a tight ass. I don't have enough money, and I wouldn't just go for a hundred mile. I'd go and do Tour de Jean or something like that, and go for even bigger. <laughs> so it's again. I, I think that's what it is. If I'm gonna go all the way to there, I might as well go and do a bigger one and have more time in the mountains and enjoy it because it's absolutely amazing. And take away that time pressure and just go and enjoy being out there and do something. Not because I need to, it to be longer, but just if I'm gonna go that distance to the other side of the world, literally. Yeah, I, I think I'd, go, I'd like to go and do the Tour of Giants and stuff instead. <laughs> exactly, exactly, <laughs> legit. So I can, Tour de yeah, Giants, stopping for a six-hour nap that, is pretty that stock standard. If I was going... It's just, exactly, exactly. <laughs> you just hike from hut to hut and eat and also pizza, right? Also, time expectations on Tour de Giants is minimal, apart from make the cuts. Yeah. There's no... 
Well, it's very much an event where quite a few people DNF that it is, yeah, a tough one. It's also the qualifier for two of the, the, the two of the glaciers, which is the one afterwards that I'd like to try. <laughs> All right, cool. Let's uh, let's move on to, yeah. to Ben. I know Ben's got um, Ben's rise in the ultra running ranks has been filled with setbacks. Um, obviously, he's conquered conquered most of them, but let, let's hear from Ben uh, some of his experiences, and we'll d- dive deep into the mindset behind it all. Yeah, well, I was thinking when Simon sort of said, "Oh, if only I've had that one DNF," I was sort of thinking, not to brag, but I've been DNFing since I was fifteen. <laughs> so, <laughs> which actually, yeah, is quite reflective of sort of what how my running sort of career has has gone. That in high school, yeah, that first DNF was. Uh, yeah, 4K cross-country race where I tore a muscle in the first sort of kilometre and kept running and my coach literally walked onto the track and pulled me off because I was just running like complete unco because I had a torn muscle. Um, yeah, and that was my first ever DNF. And that was actually pretty indicative of my first few years of running that I spent half the time running and the other half the time cross-training and injured that I would... Um, yeah, I would uh, win the state titles and then be injured by nationals. I didn't get to run my first national title until my f- national champs until I was out of school. Was that due to the uh, same kind of reasons that I was due to overtraining, youth, thinking you were invincible, push on, push on? Was that same kind of problems there, or very much so? Very coupled with that sort of uh, where your motivation exceeds your yeah. strength. That uh, was very willing to push hard day in, day out. And it's funny now as sort of a coach when you see and you have those conversations because you can very much relate to it that you see that that drive and you're sort of like, okay, you don't need to push hard every day. You don't need to kill yourself every session. But that was that was very much how I was wired. I wanted I wasn't afraid of hard work, that I would push myself yeah, way too hard in training and I was new to the sport. I had a, I was still growing and so that kind of carries its own sort of injury risk. And so yeah, and you know, you, you, when you're 15, 16, very much sort of finding your identity and your place in the world. And so suddenly, you know, when you get some results sort of come your way and that, or just, you know, things are going well, you know, you enjoy it. As soon as you get that whiff of fitness, you just want to race every weekend. And, you know, this might be a bit of a criticism of sort of the school system and that where sometimes, you know, you would, you'd race school, you'd then race, uh, you know, club and that. And you could be, I'd be doing sometimes three races in a weekend that you just wanted to keep hammering it, hammering it, hammering it, and you need to get your fix. And so, yeah, unsurprisingly, constantly injured with that sort of attitude. Yeah, um, the hard runs are the ones we were um, like, I remember it's the same kind of thing. Like, the idea that easy was good for you and would help you with the hard runs was kind of like a bit of a, no, no, no easy runs are just because I'm too knackered to run hard. Like, if I can run hard, I'll just run hard. But as a 15, 16, 17, even kind of 20-year-old, you can run hard for a while, and then it all goes pear-shaped. <laughs> well, and the, and also it's naivety that the concept of an easy... I, I didn't, I didn't no, know you went to, to do easier runs. I thought every session yeah, you went yeah. to vlog yourself because that was how, you know, when and when you are absolutely just starting out and, you know, you only run two times a week or something, yeah, that that's, that is how you train. You vlog yourself each time. And you didn't realise that once you were, you know doing doubles and that that you were meant to some mm-hmm. of them were meant to be easier runs that you thought you did 14 hard training sessions so how long a week. did it take you to learn um, that easy is good sometimes honestly so i i think my coach finally got 
to me the concept that I should probably that two or three days a week needed to be easier runs after a year or so. But I was still I still look back and sort of gosh, it wasn't it it was probably more like four or five years until I really sort of actually embraced the concept of recovery. Um, cause as I said, I, I didn't run that first national champs until I was out of school, but, and I'm, I'm with that, I made, um, the Australian team for world championships. I ran those first world championships on a stress fracture. Um, which again, like it's a common experience of people when they make their first, uh, team of any sort of next level that you go, Oh, I need to step things up, which is usually the opposite of true. The fact that you've qualified the team means that you were doing things right, but then that's the attitude of, oh, you know, I need to set things up again. You do more, more, more. And when you do more, 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 so, you get injured. And so it was that same cycle. So were you experience. as grumpy as me when you got injured and couldn't train for a week or so when you were that age? Oh, absolutely. And couple that with teenage <laughs> angst. It's not a good combination. Um, did you, yeah. So did you question... That was Did definitely you why you were doing it. No, at that point, I very much had the yeah. blinkers on. That I every time I would get injured, I'd just go straight into cross training and to to almost now I look back, you know, all these years back at it to a point that I think it was detrimental that you, you have that real hyper motivated sort of personality and just everything is gasoline on the fire because you never let yourself stop and actually feel anything you just bottle everything up every setback is just nope i'm going to push harder the solution is always to yeah. work harder and that yeah. backfires eventually that, that that's a very that's a recipe for burnout as a you know as a 16 year on that didn't sort of have that maturity really to realize that in fact i thought it was a strength of mine that you know everything just motivated me more to try harder and it's only sort of when you can sort of see that that would that would take its toll in your personal life and on your mental health as you are then just pouring yourself into it more and more. Did more, you have more. anything to balance your life, so to speak, at that age? Was running, running was it? You had any external interest to help kind of those downtime periods? Or? Uh, there definitely were periods where that was really my one big focus. I mean, fortunately had, well, I guess you had school, uni, you had very much that sort of all or nothing sort of personality though, so would always pour myself into anything I did that I remember yeah there was a brief period so yeah after that stress fracture for worlds and that and I was suddenly injured I'd actually just dropped out of uni for a bit and was hoping great I'm going to focus more on running 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 and was suddenly injured and couldn't run um yeah and so that was actually quite a then low point in in my life at that time that you suddenly oh I've got nothing right now and need to sort of and so that was also you just turned 18 and could start um, going to clubs and partying a bit more. So that was sort of that yep. that phase for me. Fortunately, once I could <laughs> run again, I sort of got over that pretty quickly that you're like, this isn't where I want to go with my life. And at that point, I then sort of reassessed like, okay, I, I switched degrees and that at uni and I kept running and then started to pour myself more into both university and running. And again, I was still at that point, you know, I'm talking 19 and I look back and I thought I was balancing it because I was now doing, had two things rather than one thing, but I was really just burning the candle at both ends that I was now just going hard at all, at both ends that it's like, right, I need to qualify for Worlds again and I need to get straight sevens at uni, that there is no compromise there. So 
yeah and so honestly these, these are things that yeah they, these are things that took years like we're talking sort of now you know this is the the psychology session we're breaking down the lessons that i learned through my 20s really that it's like it's okay to scale things back i remember yeah but yeah i remember 19 year old ben literally saying that um moderation <laughs> was a dirty word that i didn't it was all or nothing <laughs> and about going hard 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 and all these setbacks rather than really learning from them yeah as i said it would just be okay i need to work harder so when that's did the, the realization when did the penny start to drop a little bit that maybe that's not the best strategy gradually gradually that i guess it's sort of after you've sort of seen a few after you keep having these cycles and there's no one moment where the penny drops is sort of each sort of time you would take away um a little little lesson i think one big event that sort of really made me reassess things was probably in 2016 and i think to put that in i want to put that in perspective so we're gonna to have to go back things a little bit to 2014 um that was that was the year where i finished third at the world championships and so i was on a real high and thought right things are set setting up well to sort of you know maybe take that next step in my running career and that you know what let's look at some more of you know do i want to do a proper season overseas racing etc and sort of really thinking ahead to 2015 like okay this is going to be my year uh and then end of 2014 yeah. i got hit by a car so that kind of yeah. put an end to, to those plans so i yeah so all those sort of plans had to go on hold for a while as a very um lengthy sort of uh, rehab and all sort of like knock-on sort of complications that you know I mean I still have like a dodgy shoulder and that from that that you were out of balance and you'd have all these um, other injuries and that that would crop up throughout the year so it was a long one but I was very much then focusing on what well, one of the things that kept me that I would really focus on in all the, that um, period of cross training and building up was thinking about okay well I've got the next world champs in two years time at 2016 I want to go higher on that podium and, you know, this is what I'm coming back for. And so it was quite focused on that. Um, and so, yeah, put in two years of hard training, come back from, you know, pretty serious injuries. And at that World Championships in 2016, I DNF'd. Uh, race just did. I was the fittest I'd ever been. Uh, you know, my training indicated I was fitter than I was in 2014. So I thought this is great. Uh, I was right up in the lead pack on the first climb. Uh, yeah, and then the wheels just fell off. Um, you know, for, there were probably some physical reasons related to sort of nutrition and altitude. Mentally, I think I was also much more burnt out. Like my, yeah, then this was really where I had to take, look back and reassess that I was mentally a bit burnt out because I'd put all this pressure on myself. I remember that 2014 race no, not going much in. Then. Literally, and I think that interview it afterwards and someone's, you know, some of the, oh, that was corny. Like you must have, you know, rehearsed. I was like, no, this was generally true. When I said, oh, I wasn't really thinking of it as a race. I was thinking of it as an adventure. Like I was just excited to be doing an 80, 90K race in the Alps that I didn't expect to be running well and just, hey, no pressure whatsoever. Sure. Two years later, so much pressure that you sort of, uh, yeah, trying to, you know, uh, take that step up. But... Yeah, it absolutely backfired. And so that really made me step back and reassess, like, well, hang on. Am I am I enjoying this process? Am I is this worthwhile? Like, even if I had one, would it have made would I have been happy or would I have just taken that as right, I'm world champion. I need to train even harder now. 
and honestly, I think, yeah, like, I might have, might have done that, that, it, that in that sense that, that DNF was a bit of a, a blessing, that it really made me look back and reflect on and really change sort of my attitude towards a lot, a lot of things that it's about, that now it's much more for me about the lifestyle that it's, I, am I enjoying the day-to-day processes that am I enjoying, yeah, rather than trying to, I mean, in one sense, as an athlete, you always need, you know, the ability to delay gratification is important because you can't yeah. just always be doing what feels best in the moment. But you do need to be enjoying that day-to-day process for the most part that you're looking up and rather than going, oh, you know, if I keep working, I'll be happy in three years' time or something like that. Well, no, you need to be happy today and figuring out how can I make sure that I am enjoying my training, I'm enjoying my work, my study, whatever, and yeah that it really made me change my attitudes towards yeah life in general and i think that really helped me step back so as far as racing goes i mean you're very competitive obviously how have you how's how's your approach to racing and the expectations you have on yourself changed from that 2016 race where you said you put too much pressure on yourself and that backfired versus not caring because i know you care i know you want to do well in the race but how do you balance that kind of not putting too much pressure on you, but putting enough to get the best out of you on that day? How have you managed to reconcile that? Or have you? That's still a work in progress. I mean, I think all these things are always to a degree yeah. a work in progress. But part of it comes down to you no longer let the results define you. That you're not a good person because you ran well. You know that... Yeah, and you're not a bad person because you didn't run well, that you don't <laughs> let those things define you. And that's where I think, yeah, having that then bal- that balance is important. That, yeah, I still come into races usually with quite lofty goals. Um, but if I fall short of them, it, it doesn't have the same effect that it would have earlier where it was sort of like, oh, that, yeah, whereas I think sort of 10 years ago, whereas like, if races that weren't going well, then and I wasn't as fit as I could possibly be, then life was pointless, that you sort of are keeping things in perspective, that you're making sure that, no, I'm still going to look forward to tomorrow, that I'm excited to then get back into training and keep chipping at it, that you sort of keep in perspective that these races are one day of the year. um, And if they go fantastically, that's great. And look, and sometimes I'm fortunate to be in a position where if races go well enough, it opens up a bunch of opportunities for me. But you make sure that, you have you've set up life such that you have all those safety nets that it's sort of if it doesn't go well life's still great like it's you know may, maybe it opens up new and better opportunities but it's sort of you're choosing between good or good or <laughs> so it's it's a win-win situation so um you've had a few spectacular dnfs not so spectacular dnfs i want to just go back and visit some of the more spectacular ones which is obviously buffalo um, how did you process that given, for those of you who don't know, Ben was medically DNF twice, both times medical DNF, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, how did you process that? What did you learn from that? How did you deal with the, the DNF itself and how have you used that positively, hopefully since then? So fortunately for both of those, those are ones I was actually able to move on from relatively quickly because I didn't have too long until my next event. And that's sort of one thing that I've learned where, which is always important for me is to have a next event in mind that some people, okay, that's not true. For some people, they need to, you know, get through their event, process it afterwards, and then start thinking about what's next. I'm not like that. I need 
to you know be able to go as i said it's about that um everyday lifestyle and that next next sort of step knowing what that next step is that i've um as we mentioned before control and stuff like that that gives me great comfort to sort of know that okay once i've finished even if you know that next step is rest and recovery you then already have a okay what's coming up afterwards so in those situations buffalo where collapsed twice now i had utas five or six weeks later and so all it did was okay we would could just go reassess okay what do we take away what went wrong why why did this happen what is there anything we can adjust moving forwards into that next race and if so what and just quickly learn from it and then keep going how did you go into uta both those times when obviously you know obviously we learned a bit about what we had some theories on why what happened to you happened but we didn't know for sure and we weren't able to really test that out at all so how did you go into uta with the knowledge that what happened in buffalo um, were you able to kind of completely ignore that or is that kind of in your back of your head that oh, i hope this doesn't happen again or how did you manage to deal with that so interestingly for me it didn't make me sort of go oh i hope this doesn't happen again it did make give me there was a sense of you know you're trying to there was a, a, I guess, a sense of trying to prove yourself that you sort of go, you know, this is redemption, um, which, you know, that can be a positive thing in some situations. That can be a negative thing in some situations that, as I said, it's important to make sure that these results aren't defining you and your worth. But it, in that case, it was just sort of stoking the fire, having had those, uh, the, those DNS, they sort of went, okay, I think I can do, do better this time. And you weren't going to let yourself have a soft you know a soft dnf or anything after that that you sort of gone well no i push in one sense i sort of took confidence away from well hang on i push myself to the point of, of collapse if i can do things a little bit smarter and adjust these small things or just execute the race a bit better i know i can dig deep so you sort of try to put that positive spin on it and draw confidence at least from that what about moving into races in queenstown i know i mean one of the problems you've had historically has been heat and um, sodium and um, nutrition and keeping your stomach happy and all that kind of stuff. And in UTA being colder temperatures, it's far less of an issue and you haven't really had any issues at all with UTA. But how did you deal with what had happened at Buffalo with racing in Queensland where you had some similar experiences and you know, going into a race not sure whether your stomach was going to handle it or not, you know, the mindset behind how you approach that and whether that was a negative thing or a positive thing or, you know, how did you deal with that? Yeah, so, I mean, I guess for people who don't know, so I then have had a similar experience at the Brisbane Trail Ultra 110K where I've collapsed again and then at the Guzzler Ultra 100K last year had it didn't collapse with that one, but it certainly had think for nutrients and nutritional issues where things sort of did fall apart in the race and so it was... Well, I, I did end up lying in a medical tent for a couple of hours before I then <laughs> walked to the finish that time. Because I guess at that point I'd also learned my lesson that um, I I knew that hey, hang on, if you you know you do have that six hour sleep or something and you can still walk it in, that uh, you can make it happen. Uh, so knowing that stuff like the heat was going to be a potential you know trigger for me, you can let that intimidate you or. I always just kind of look at it almost with academic interest yeah. that it's sort of, okay, this is an experiment to sort of see, can I make it work that, and again, I think this is part of it as sort of evolved that you have that perspective that you almost view it as rather than like, as I said, not rather than defining, am I 
am I worthy? Am I good enough? It's more, no, this is almost like a Sudoku puzzle. Like I'm just trying to solve this uh, problem. And that it's this interesting challenge of, oh, how close to, you know, my physiological ceiling can I get in, in this race? What can I do, you know, nutritionally, all these little things? How can I tweak it slightly in order to get the best out of myself? And you kind of have to view it with that uh, excitement and cu curiosity, I guess. And so that way it's less intimidating because it's just, you, you know, you're trying to solve this little puzzle and maybe maybe you get a piece wrong and you go, okay, next time. Like, the you know that you've had it happen enough times now that you go, okay, well, I know I can take a lesson away from that and maybe then the next time I'll be able to better apply so that. So would you say you were able to still push as hard as you wanted to knowing what could, could happen or do you think you, you held back subconsciously a little bit in those races just in case it happened again and just in case going a little bit easier could negate that? Or was it a case of, okay, this is it. I'm just going to race how I want to race. If it happens, it happens. I'll learn from it. If it doesn't happen, fantastic. Probably yeah. the latter. That um, there, there are certainly some events out there that if I did, I would come in with the former where it would be uh, that it would be focusing more on, you know, on completion and happy to dial things back and go, okay, I finished with something left in the tank or something like that. But these days, a lot of races that I go into, you know, I have a pretty well-defined sort of, okay, this is what I am aiming for, you know, be that a time or a position. And as I was sort of saying with Simon earlier, where mm. it's like that definitely makes DNFs more likely. The best, yeah. The best way to have a DNF is There's to have a well-defined yeah. time or yeah. positional goal. Um, in the same, yeah, in the same way, the best way to increase your injury risk is to have a goal race or something like that, because now you're not going to just back mm -hmm. things off every time you feel a little niggle. You know, you have an incentive to push through things. Um, so yeah, anything that gives you that incentive is going to make. Yeah, that's a, that's a line. Failure. Elite athletes tread the line. It's a line that has to be trodden. You can't avoid that line. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's uh, unavoidable. If you want to test uh, where your limits lie, then you have to risk sometimes pushing past yeah. them, and you have to yeah come to it. So that's in the, you know we touched on it at the start about acceptance, learning to accept that you know you are yeah. going to probably fail sometimes, and that's okay. And how do you, how do, you do that? that? We you talk about acceptance, on. saying oh you know you just have to have acceptance, but. What does that actually look like for you? How do you practice acceptance or develop acceptance? So I think, let so as a sort of more concrete example, let's use my most recent race and setback. That, set back, <laughs> that was what I was leading on to. Yeah, the UTA 100, where, so I had a good run at, you know, earlier in the year in that at six foot track, and that sort of indicated to me and so what we're seeing in training was probably, hey, I'm probably the fittest I've been. This is really good going into it. And I've run UTA several times now and had some good results there. So my goal was very much to, assuming conditions were similar, which they were on the day, to essentially try and run a personal best and to keep improving from what I've done before. Um, unfortunately, several weeks out from the race, I picked up a injury to my... Um, right hip flexor and so was coming in with that uncertainty and so as we sort of touched on earlier say like, do you scale back your expectations to or do you 
or do you take the gamble? Do you take the risk and go, no, I'm still going to stick with trying to push, push to that limit. And, you know, I have my goals that I want to target and I'm going to stick with that and see, see how things pan out. And I chose, I chose the latter that it's like, I have done the race enough times that I wasn't interested in, um, finishing in, you know, 12 hours or something like that. I wanted to run, yeah, 9.15. That that was what I was sort of aiming for. And so things were feeling really good. In fact, uh, things were feeling, if anything, better than they ever had before. And I was on personal best sort of pace, except for that hip flexor. That was from 10K on. That was starting to play up. And eventually it just got to the point that, yeah, I was limping on, on the stairs. And so by the bottom of the giant staircase, I just yeah was limping and knew I was going to have to walk it in and as I wasn't interested in um that and extending rehab time so I had to pull the pin yeah, there's no question that DNFing was obviously and, the, the only option to walking it in was was never going to be the the approach to take so post run a bit disappointing obviously how did the processing go yeah so the immediate response um I sat down on the trail and cried. In there, and there were a few volunteers there around there, and as an adult man, crying in front of strangers is not something you do a lot. Yeah, but it was it. in yeah. that sense a somewhat liberating experience that you sort of went, "Oh, that's not actually too bad," even though it's sort of, you know, that thing which society often tells you, "No, never do that," and you're like, "Actually, yeah. it was fine." <laughs> but um, yeah. Honestly, it was there just sitting with, actually sitting with those emotions, as I said, that, um, so I actually DNF'd UTA my, the first time I ever ran it when I was, yeah, 19. And I definitely did not <laughs> sit with any emotions there. It was immediately bottling up. You were not showing any sign yeah. of weakness there that, yeah, well, that's, and, and when I say weakness, yeah. I'm saying yeah. that tongue in cheek that, you know, I see vulnerability yeah. as a strength, but back then that was definitely not how I saw it. So it was letting, letting yourself be vulnerable, letting yourself feel those emotions because you can't Bless process you them if you uh, don't yeah. let yourself feel them. And so, yeah, it was... And then it was a long... Fortunately, I could still walk. So I walked up the uh, giant staircase to get back to a car to then actually pull out. And on the way, on my way up, I got to see most of the top 10 males um as they were making their way and they were all incredible you know they've all had their setbacks along the way so they were all incredibly supportive there are a lot of hugs on the way up which in itself is an amazing thing and a yeah. testimony to what a great community trail running is that in the middle of you know the most competitive race in the southern hemisphere they no one thought twice about stopping to you know check in how are you give you a hug and say it'll be all right and it was usually me sort of being the one being like go you're in a race keep going so um yeah so obviously that sort of social support in itself already helps you immediately start moving on but obviously it was still pretty raw at the time um usually i'm not one to post much on social media but i sort of felt at the time i yeah because obviously they'd been posting while i was at the front of the race so a lot in posting you you know you see your phone and you've already got tons of unread messages and so you just put out the instagram post to sort of say this is what happened this is how i'm feeling right now and actually being raw and honest about that and it was interesting when you both sort of earlier touched on you know you mentioned feeling uh 
like you'd let people down. And I, I think I, and I used exactly that phrase. And so everyone's comment was you've let no one down. And, and, you know, I think of, you know, how I was feeling in that moment where it's like, Oh, I'd done all this, you know, you've got your team all around you who support you. And, you know, even, you know, Andy is my coach that, you know, and the fact that I was fitter than I'd ever been, I said, Oh, you know, have I let, you know, felt like I'd let you down, but did you feel not. like I'd let you down? No, of course not. Yeah, so I mean, that's always just a reminder to everyone that you know, even though you often feel that way, that yeah, no one actually is feeling that way. But it's okay to feel that and express that. And even though it feels like, oh, you know, you shouldn't need that reassurance from other people that no, you haven't let them down. Hearing it it still does help you process. I think what happens and move on. We get and sort of go, oh yeah, people, and we use that support to help help motivate us. And so when we don't do what we wanted to do ourselves, we feel like we've let the support down, but it, there's, there's a cut in that link there. The people that support us have the, don't have those expectations. All they want is for you to do well and do your best. And if you've done that, then no one's ever let anybody down. Like it doesn't, doesn't happen like that. But I think you touched on some really good points there in terms of, you know, within the first half hour, you've got some acknowledgement of your feelings. You've got social support and you've, you know, acknowledged the feelings to, to a large community to kind of, you know, say how you felt and got that response back so already in the first hour you've come a long way in you know going through that grieving process which has obviously helped yeah exactly and it meant that already by the following day you know your people are still you know sending you messages and that and sort of by 24 hours later (laughs) you almost felt bad because you're almost like I've moved on. I'm feeling good now. Yeah, you're like you know, I, I I've processed this already because I've been through this enough times now that yeah, I can sort of by not bottling it up, by letting yourself feel it. And as we sort of said, using using that uh, network that you know other people are. As I said, vulnerability is is a real strength, and other people are great. That 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 social support and that is so important. And that's been a big lesson I've sort of learned over time. Is really how important it is to you know talk about it and be honest and be raw with your feelings and that that really that helps us how you form close connections with people and yeah that helps so much with dealing with any sort of setback so the, the next step for ben and i'm going to jump ahead and see if i can take ben's words out of his mouth a little bit because i i messaged ben as soon as i heard the news um didn't hear anything back and i didn't expect to hear anything back i knew he'd take some time to process it then i saw the social media posts so i thought yeah okay he's, he's good he's fine then my next discussion with ben was andy i've got these races planned out for the next 18 months um so just like me i know when i get injured or have a setback i plan stuff out so that's obviously your strategy as well ben want to take us through that mindset there yeah very much so as i mentioned before how going into sort of any race i like to have a what's next and what was going to be next for me after uta was going to be the btu 100 miler after you know having to pull out from 100k with the injury i quickly withdrew from the 100 miler at btu because it wasn't going to in eight weeks be ready for a 100 miler so i had to sort of reassess that as i said for me having that um perspective of what's what's next what's coming and having planned ahead really gives me that sort of sense of security in that and it helps get back into that process of training and even if it is recovering and taking it easy it helps give you that sense of okay why what are you doing it for what are you working towards and just having that sort of goal on the horizon or at least sort of uh yeah adds a that sort of sense of purpose 
to things immediately. But then also it made me sort of take a step back and be like, okay, what do I want to be doing? What do I feel, you know, what do I want to be doing right now? What sort of training do I want to be doing? Um, and then sort of partly also then picking goals according to so that you're training the way you want and then, hey, this sort of training would just prepare me well for these types of events. So how have you felt um, your post-race emotions and strategies have changed from the 19-year-old Ben who DNF TNF to the 27-year-old... 20, 28, uh, 20, 29 in a week. <laughs> 28-year-old Ben that uh, DNF'd UTA this year. What has been the... You alluded to one in terms of, you know, letting your emotions out and being vulnerable. Any other changes in the, the two attitudes? As I uh, touched on having that bit more balance in terms of in life in sort of general and that, so that making sure that enjoying the day-to-day -day processes so that you've got something there to, yeah, look forward and get back to rather than hoping that, oh, maybe in a few years things will be good so that you get to look forward to tomorrow. As I mentioned there with social networks and that, that that's been a big one, that being able to then go talk about that, you know, uh, touch on, you know, uh, generally reaching out, you know, wider community and stuff like that, but then having your really close friends, being, ha being able to talk to them about that. And ironically, sort of most of my closest, yeah, most of my closest friends aren't runners. Um, so that sort of, and I'm not saying that that's a good thing or a bad thing. That is what it is. But it sort of means that, you know, they'll support you through it because they're your friends. And it's the same as, you know, if a mate goes, lost their job or went through a breakup or something, you support them and you're there emotionally because you know that that's an important thing for them. And so they're there in that same way. But if you, it doesn't matter, you, you very much know that it doesn't matter how well or poorly you you ran uh, yeah. they don't it's a, care yeah. really because they're not <laughs> runners they just care about you as a person that's yeah. it's yeah it's very much who who you are as a person rather than your running results that's just oh yeah ben runs far um <laughs> and I, th I think there's something to, to kind of make note of is that we are all people we we choose to run we running is a thing we do we are not runners we are we are all more than just runners and i think we can lose sight of that sometimes. We get so caught up in our running because it means so much to, and it's such a big part of our lives that when we get injured, we kind of feel that lack of purpose, lack of self, like we lost part of ourselves. And I think we just need to remind ourselves that we are more than runners. You know, we have other interests, we have other relationships, um, and we are more than just runners. And I think if you can tap into that, then no matter what happens with your running, your highs will be higher and your lows won't be as bad either. So I think, you know, one big takeaway from that is to remember that you are more than just a runner. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we touched on that last uh, podcast with choosing races and that we're keeping things perspective in that, you know, that sort of wider perspective and sense of purpose and that. And very much is the same here with then coming back from any sort of setback, be that running, be that injury, be that uh, race is not going to plan, that you have that sort of wider sense of purpose and holistic outlook on life and yourself then it's much easier to bounce back from anything the other thing i think is looking at long term in terms of you know we can get caught up in thinking about the next race we're training for and that becomes the be all and end all um, and we can't do that it's gutting you know? but i think if if you if you look at running or whatever sport it is as a, a long-term activity like for me i want to keep running in my 60s and my 70s and my 80s 
So when you look at it from a long-term perspective, missing one race in my 20s and my 30s, or two races, or 10 races, like it's nothing, it's a pebble in an ocean kind of thing, like it doesn't matter that much. So I think, you know, the more we zone in on, on that one race, the, the harder it can be to deal with things. But once we can step back from that and realise that this is one journey of life we're in and running is a part of that, and that one race was one particular day in a whole year of hopefully 80 plus years of my life, suddenly it just doesn't seem that important anymore. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's been said many times, you know, that it, something like an ultramarathon is a microcosm of life and you have your ups and your downs and the duration of it allows you to experience all sorts of emotions and, and accepting that things do go wrong in life and, and learning resilience and res, learning how to cope it, it can give you sort of lessons in just things that might go wrong in life generally and I, and I think resilience is a thing that certainly teaching kids and stuff is something that's important to get children to to accept that not everything goes right all of the time and and I, and I think that you learn so, you just we keep saying you learn so much more when stuff goes wrong than when stuff goes right in everything in your life when things are going when everything's going well you just go in with the flow. It, it takes stuff to go wrong to actually have to respond, react and adapt to a situation. It's, it's an evolution of, of, of everything in, 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 in a literal sense and in, 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 in this microcosm example that when things go wrong, you have to adapt and change. And in, by doing that, you learn. And, and I, th- I think as we get older, as you said, I think sometimes that worry is at the other end of the, you know, the scale of being a younger runner who's running at an elite level like Ben is a lot as you said before the demographic of a lot of people are of an older age category and you start to see things as you're getting older that possibly this could be a chance that's that's slipping away you might not get another chance to do it injuries become something that becomes a concern is this the one Uh, because the demographic of a lot of runners are you said before 30s 40s 50s a large percentage of the field are in that age and it, it does become a concern and a worry that maybe this is the one this setback could be the thing and teaching resilience even as you get older is you can't you're not immune from it you know you have to learn and continue to take it on board and it's you just get a bit more stuck yeah. in your ways so it's harder <laughs> yeah I think you need to continue learning these lessons and being reinforced these lessons. I think just because you've learned it once doesn't mean that will still hold for you in 10 years' time. Situation changes, life changes. And I think, you know, you've got a choice when something goes wrong. You can either wallow in your misery um, and eventually put it behind you but not learn anything out of it, or you can go, right, allow myself to wallow for a short period of time, allow myself to grieve, get over it. What positive thing can I take from this? Even if it's random chance, there's still some positives you can take away from that. And I think if we're always looking to take something positive away from the, the negative things that happen, then we're only going to improve as both runners and, and as human beings. It, it's well. often the reason that we enter these races. Uh, for the majority, like I say, for the, the 80% of the field, it's their own fight club. It's it's the let's see what I'm made of. Like, will I, how do I respond yeah. to this? Can I take myself out of my comfort zone? And that entering a race that's more brutal than any other race or a race that's further or a race that you're almost you're purposefully setting yourself up for the potential to fail and that's possibly what a lot of people do enter it for it's because you want to see where the shit hits the fan what do i do how do i respond what's what 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 makes me me when i am raw and at the edge of of, of emotions and at the edge of of exhaustion 
am I still an alright person? Do, how do I treat my crew when I go into the aid station? Can I still raise a smile and be polite and gracious and, and, and grateful uh, rather than being a grumpy? You know, and, and there is so yeah. much about it. Almost, you're tempting it to go wrong so many times. Yeah, yeah, because because you step it up, you do something a bit harder. You do something. You like Ben said before, flying on that edge that as an elite athlete does of becoming, this could be too far. For some people, it's it's maybe not the speed, but it's it's the distance, it's the elevation, it's the type of terrain, it's the same kind of feeling for everyone that is, I am going to possibly fail here, and. The setbacks are sometimes what people are actually maybe looking for. <laughs> well, I think you touched, touched a really good point there, Simon. I think that if there was no possibility of failure, we What's wouldn't the, be doing the challenge. Job. Exactly. So if if there is a possibility for failure there, we've got to accept that sometimes, and I don't like using the no. word failure because it implies no, no. that, you know, you, yeah, but, but we know what we're talking about when we say that. When things don't go your way, that's why we do these races. If every race went your way, then you would find something else where there's a chance of it not going your way. So when it doesn't go your way, you go, well, that's why I race these things, because it doesn't always go my way, and it gives me a chance to kind of define who I am and how I rise up from that setback. So I think, yeah, these setbacks, without them, we wouldn't be doing the races we're doing. And we've got to keep that in mind sometimes that, yeah, it, it sucks to fail, it sucks for these setbacks, but that's racing, that's exactly. any kind of sport. That's Rough seas, good life. sailors. Yeah. That, you know what I mean? That's what we said before. It, it, it does. <laughs> if you're looking for everything to be to be groomed trail all the time yeah you're going to complete it and there's almost a yep i can do that but you're often looking for something that might just go wrong and that's where the adventure that's where the challenge is really yeah, yeah totally agree well i think we've summarized it quite well in that last uh, little wrap up there any any other um closing comments guys i think we've um we've delved in deep there <laughs> all right fantastic boys once again always good to chat uh listeners out there if you've got any topics you want to hear us discuss just please write on in um and we look forward to uh, talking with you again soon thanks boys you have too sir thank you very much have a good one you too